In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, and we are continuing in chapter 13 of St. Matthew's Gospel. You'll remember that the past couple of weeks we've been uh, reading these parables of Jesus as he's been talking about the kingdom of heaven and uh, we've been learning about the kingdom being like a seed and about uh, us or more specifically our hearts being like this soil. And uh, he's continuing with this theme of the kingdom of heaven and we're learning more about what this seed is and what kind of a, a seed it is. The, the parables that we have here are grouped together two different sets that are surrounding the parable of the wheat and the tares. So you'll notice uh, in your bulletins that uh, we skipped a few verses. Those verses are the, the wheat and the tares, and so these parables are surrounding that one. You'll also remember that we talked about the ending of Matthew chapter 12, and how it's in chapter 12 where the crowd comes to Jesus and says, uh, your mother and your brothers are outside for you, and he says, uh, those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brothers. And so he's talking to us about how it is that we become members of his family, how it is that we join with the family of Christ. We do that by being obedient to the voice of the father. And indeed, this is how we get adopted into that family. And so he's explaining what that means, how it is that we become adopted into the family of God by these parables about the kingdom. And so we know that since uh, our father is a king, uh, that to be in his family is to be in his kingdom. So we're learning about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. When you're living in a kingdom, there are customs of that kingdom. There are ways of living. There are rules. uh, There are things that go into being a part of that kingdom. And so Jesus is helping us to understand that culture of the kingdom of heaven, uh, those rules and rituals of the kingdom of heaven through these parables. And this morning we have a series of very short parables to understand the kingdom of heaven. Uh, They're very brief and they're very short uh, and taken together uh, they're going to show us different aspects of what it means to be in the kingdom. And so the first one here is that that, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. And so the mustard seed, of course, is this very small seed that's easy to overlook. It's very difficult to see. It's something that you might not notice right away. And yet it becomes this great uh, plant in the garden. So the first thing is that when we look at the, the lives of the saints, the lives of the saints can be, on the surface, very innocuous. We might not notice these people had the church not brought them to our attention. They're the kind of people who are living lives of righteousness that might not be obvious. And I think we each have known people like that, that we at first didn't take any notice of them. We might have never picked them out of a crowd. Uh, they might have just been very simple and humble people. But if we've got the blessing of coming to know them, we realize, oh, this is a person of deep faith and righteousness who is living a life of of true goodness and we might have just missed them in a crowd and so this is what jesus is saying you might miss uh, this small innocuous uh, person living in the kingdom but their lives become this great tree and they become this place where the the angels dwell right where these birds of the forest dwell and this is what we know about again the lives of the saints they become places their lives become places that welcome in and protect other people 
These uh, lives of the saints are uh, people that have started monasteries, have started churches, have started movements and teaching, and their lives become a place of welcoming and inviting. Uh, They become places of refuge for others. And so uh, people come into their lives and they get instruction and they get protection and they get food and sustenance by the lives of these simple good people. And of course the apostles are great examples of this. Uh, These are poor, uh, obscure people that you may not have ever noticed, but they, uh, though small, become uh, this great group. Again, the leaven is the same example, isn't it? Leaven is a kind of a seed, isn't it? It's very small. If you've ever used leaven, it just looks like this powder, this dust, right? It's something that you would totally miss. Uh, the, The wheat is this larger element that's easy to see, and the water and other elements of bread uh, might be easy to notice, but the leaven just looks like this little bit. It's this tiny bit of dust that gets added, and yet what happens? It grows and transforms the whole. And so again, the lives of a few righteous can be like that. We don't have to be uh, easily noticeable. We don't have to be big and brash and bold, like celebrity lifestyles. Uh, we can be simple people who live simple uh, lives that can be easily overlooked. And yet, if we're living lives of righteousness, we will transform and shape the lives of those around us. We start to, to really influence those around us for righteousness. If we're participating in the kingdom of God uh, as this leaven. So the mustard seed and the leaven are very similar. Uh, in that that they're small, easy to overlook, uh, but yet grow with great power. And then the next two parables are similar as well. We might group them together. The treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. So here are valuable things. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is of immense value. And of course we know that because it's the place where life is, right? There is no other place to have life but in the kingdom of heaven, to, to have life but in the presence of God. There's no other place that we can go. And, and so the first thing about that uh, treasure in the field is that it's easy to overlook. And, and we know that. It's not only found by people who are searching for it. We can stumble upon it, can't we? We can stumble upon righteousness. And again, uh, like those innocuous people, there might be a life in God that we had kind of overlooked, that we hadn't really realized. And then when we come into contact with it, it can dramatically change our lives if we recognize it. Of course, that's the key, isn't it? We have to recognize the value of that treasure. And this is why Jesus is saying over and over again, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Because he's saying many will hear the words, but they kind of bounce off of their ears the same way that those seeds bounce off of the sidewalk. Many people have heard the gospel preached, but it doesn't sink in. It doesn't transform because they don't recognize the value of living in the kingdom of God and of that life. And like the treasure and the pearl, we're told that we're supposed to give everything away in order to gain it see there's an incredible cost the Lord is saying there's a cost to this pearl there's a cost to the kingdom here's the cost everything you've got you have to give up your life the same way that I gave up mine so we have to give up everything that we have in order to receive the kingdom. What are the things that we hold on to? We hold on to all those things that kind of make us feel better about ourselves, right? Um, our careers, our vocations, the way that we perceive ourselves as being maybe virtuous or hardworking people or whatever we might puff ourselves up with. Uh, it might be uh, you know, our, our ethnicity or the country that we belong to or our political party. It could be the amount of money that we've got in the bank. On and on and on and on. 
on, right? We've got all these things that we kind of hang our hats on, and the Lord says, give me all of that. Give me everything. And if you give me all of that, then I will give you life in my kingdom. Because he's saying, I'm not just going to take a little bit of you. I'm not just going to take your ideas. I'm not just going to take your feelings. He says, I want all of you. I'm going to shape all of you and remake you in my kingdom. And then finally, this fifth parable is very much like the parable of the wheat and the tares that comes right before it, uh, because we see that the kingdom of heaven is this wide net that gets cast. So many receive the gospel, and many are invited into the church. But just because we're in the church doesn't mean our lives are being transformed, right? That's been true for me. I've been in the church many years, and many years have gone by where I did not improve in my righteousness or my walk with God, right? I just came to church and just kind of did the same old thing, right? And so it's easy to just to kind of sit and to not participate in our hearts and the transformation of our minds. And the Lord is saying, that's only going to last so long. When He comes again, He will separate those uh, that have not received and have not been transformed, have been, not been justified uh, by the, the Spirit of God, have not allowed themselves to be really reworked, have not sold everything else that they had in order for that pearl of great price. And of course, the scary part about it is, uh, if you're like me, you read some of these wonderful characters like Solomon, and you think, holy Toledo, if Solomon couldn't do it, who can? Right? Solomon is one of my favorite figures. I remember my mother reading to me the stories of Solomon when I was just knee-high, right? I loved Solomon. I loved how uh, he prayed, and I loved uh, what it is that he offered to the Lord and saying that he was a small child, right? I loved the fact that he recognized what his dad was given and that he, he said the right prayer, didn't he? It was so amazing that he knew to ask for wisdom over riches and long life and all of these things. But even Solomon, it's so complex, isn't it? If you look in a little bit deeper, you see that that Solomon is worshipping in a place that he really shouldn't have been worshipping in. He really wasn't where he was supposed to be. And and it's hard to say how he was supposed to react to the situation that his uh, father David had given him. If you remember... Way back before Solomon, Moses and the nation of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. And this is when the Lord gives them the Ten Commandments, right? You'll remember that. And then you remember that when he gives them the Ten Commandments, he also teaches them how to build the Ark. And they put the Ark of the Covenant. They put the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. And then they put the Ark inside of the tabernacle. Do you remember that? And so the tabernacle and the Ark are all traveling through the wilderness. And this is the presence of God, right? His Word, His commandments. And uh, they go into the promised land and Joshua brings them in and you remember they place it in Shiloh and the whole nation gathers in Shiloh. Do you remember? And then eventually after the judges, after the time of Joshua and the judges, Saul is fighting wars. He's the first king and he takes the ark out of the tabernacle and he leads the people in battle with the ark. And at that point, the ark and the tabernacle are separated and they're no longer together. Eventually, Solomon's dad, King David, brings the ark back into Jerusalem, but the the tabernacle isn't there. The tabernacle is here in Gibeon. 
Gibeon's an important place. If you remember, the Gibeonites are the ones that go to Joshua and the nation of Israel and they pretend that they had traveled a great distance. Do you remember that? How they they made their clothes really shabby and they got some moldy bread and they walked about two blocks and they said, Oh, we've been walking for days and days. We're so far away and we want to make a treaty with you. And Joshua is taken in. Right, and they make this treaty with Gibeon, and it's at the 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 place of Gibeon where the tabernacle dwells. So here it is, a place of pagan worship, pagan people, and here's the tabernacle. What's Solomon to do? He spends his whole life building the temple and trying to bring those back together, bring those pieces together, and yet all the while he's doing that, these weeds are growing up in his life, so that he's led astray and away from the Lord by all these troubles of the world. It's so hard to know what's right and to know how it is that we're supposed to practice lives of righteousness. It's difficult, isn't it? Sometimes to figure out what's right and what's wrong and how to pray. Um, This is what St. Paul is telling us. I've prayed the wrong way so many times, I can't just stop once I start giving you illustrations. I thought I was supposed to go to seminary in New York. The Lord sent me to California. I thought I was supposed to work for the county. The Lord sent me to the state. On and on and on. I thought I knew where the Lord was leading me, what I was supposed to do, and it ends up being a totally different direction, doing something totally different. Over and over again, and I thought that I was praying the right way. And it ends up I didn't have the right idea at all. That's happened to me over and over and over again. Has it happened to some of you, I think? And so the question is, what do we do? How is it that we're supposed to pray? The fathers say that there are three kinds of prayer. Three kinds of prayer. Number one is praying the right words, right? So the right words are something like, Lord, help me. Lord, help them. Right? We pray that the Lord do what's right in our life. We pray the Lord does what's right in other people's lives. So the first kind of prayer is just to say the the right words, right? Praying for faith and hope and love, right? Praying for righteousness. Then the second kind of prayer is to pray the right words and mean it. I end up stopping after number one, right? It's hard to mean it. Maybe I'm the only one. Have you ever had trouble with this? Praying the right words and really meaning it. We get distracted. Our hearts are going someplace else. Well, I'd like to pray for that guy, but boy, does he bug me, right? I want to pray that I do. I go this place, but I'd really like to go that place, right? So to pray the right words and then to really mean it in our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls, all the way down to, to have that that line, that plumb line, all the way down of righteousness. Then the third way is to be quiet and let God pray. That's the way. That's what St. Paul is saying. He's saying, you've got no idea how to pray. I don't have any idea how to pray. Thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit will pray through us. He will pray through us and we will be transformed so that we truly desire what he prays St. Augustine says that the problem that we have in knowing how to pray is that we don't know what future to hope for we don't know what future to hope for 
And we think that the things that are negative end up being positive, and the things we thought were positive end up being negative. Sometimes the things we're the most afraid of, when I was baptized, the idea of standing up in front of you and preaching was the most terrifying thing I could think of. The first thing I prayed after I accepted the Lord as my Savior was, I'll do whatever you want, just don't ask me to preach. Huh? We've got no clue. And so we have to be quiet and let the Lord pray through us because He has lives that are more beautiful and wonderful than we could ever ask for or imagine. And His prayers bear fruit. They bear fruit. His prayers will not go unfulfilled. And He will pray through us and we will be transformed.